This morning we're looking at what it means to be a community of grace. We're continuing to um, uh, look through um, uh, just who we are as a church uh, through um, the, the things we profess as we become members. And uh, we're going to look at um, how we are um, a community that is um, made right with God by grace alone through faith alone. I'm reading from Romans chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put, forth, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Last uh, week we looked at how um, we're all sinners. That is, we've all rebelled against the God who created us and who made us, uh, that we have turned away from life, which means we've chosen death. We've, we've turned away from light, which means choosing darkness. We've, we've turned away from the source of beauty, which means choosing ugliness. We are in this position, and, and that is uh, where we are, which puts us in a dilemma, uh, puts uh, the, the predicament to God of how can God forgive us and at the same time maintain his justice? God is just, um, God is merciful, but how do these stay, how are these both held together? Um, so, as this portion says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what we looked at last week, uh, which means how then can we be reconciled to this holy God and have our sins forgiven, and yet at the same time, he remain just. Um, you see, whenever a wrong is done, whenever a harm is done to someone, there is a cost and someone has to pay the price. So let's imagine you, you have a, um, a friend who borrows your car and, and then wrecks it. Now, one scenario could be where the friend comes back and says, I'm so sorry, let me make this right and pay for it, and, and they pay the price and restore the damage. The price has been done, the friend can be forgiven, um, things have been taken. The, the, the guilty party you know, takes that, that burden of that cost. The other thing could be a friend wrecks a car and comes back to you and says, I'm sorry, I, have no, I don't have uh, the money, don't have anything I can do. And you say, that's okay, I forgive you. But then you have to pay the cost. You have uh, taken that debt. You have taken the harm. So in other words, for that forgiveness to be there, there has to be um, someone taking the cost, paying the price, if there is to be forgiveness the price still stands. So some people 
wrestle with this issue and, and come and say, well, you know, really, God is beyond good and evil. You know, the things we do, he's really not that concerned about. He's really concerned about really big things. But, but does God really care who I sleep with? Does God really care with, you know, how I spend my time and, and my money? Is the one who made the galaxies really concerned about what goes on in my life? Some kind of come up with the idea that maybe God forgives, you know, he just kind of passes over sin. God is good. He forgives. Almost maybe the, the thought of he's almost obligated to because isn't that what a God of love is? Isn't a God of love one who just kind of overlooks and maybe winks at our small sins and overlooks the big ones if we really didn't mean it too much? But see, any of these kind of ideas um, where God just kind of over forgives or doesn't care or lowers his standards, those are really saying God is not a just God. God might be many things, but he is no longer just if the price is no longer paid. If he doesn't insist on wrongs being righted somehow. But God is just, so these won't work. Others uphold the idea of a just God, but what they want to do is come up with the idea of um, we can make up for our bad deeds by doing enough good deeds. So maybe you have the idea of, of two skills, and um, you know, if my good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then I get to go to heaven. Uh, you know, if, if, I'm, if I've done a little bit better than the other people around me, I'm a good person. And a lot of people think that that's what being a Christian is, following the commandments and doing all the right things. And uh, believing in Jesus means believing what he told us to do. This way we can kind of look at repentance as just saying, I need a second chance. Accept my excuses. Um, but in this situation, what you were saying, what you would say if you were going with this would mean that you think that God forgives on the basis of our good works. You, you, you would say that he, he is just, but you've not really understood how bad our sin is because sin weighs on us and we can never make up for it. We could never do enough good to make up for the bad. And part of the problem is it's not just the things that we do. It's the whole bent of our heart is that I'm always thinking of myself before I think of others. And I'm always thinking of myself before I think of God. So in other words, the irony is the strictest religions, the, the people you, you think are the most religious and who take their faith uh, and, and trying to live out and doing and following all the rules, the, peop the ones that most people would say, these are really righteous, these are really good people. In other words, the most religious people and the most strict people means they don't take sin serious enough. If they think they can make up for the sin by the good they do, they don't understand the depth of sin. And so the ones who do all the rules and thinking that they're pleasing God by that don't understand and don't take sin serious enough. So here we are. We've incurred a debt that we can never pay. How can God forgive real sinners without being unjust? In, in this passage, um, is talking about how God can be both just and the justifier of those 
who trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, and, and we are justified by grace through that trust, that faith. So we've, we've looked at our condition, that we've all sinned, and we now have verse 21, but now. What a wonderful good news. We, we've looked at the bad news of our condition. Here is the good news, but now. God has acted in Jesus Christ so that his righteousness is now displayed in his forgiveness of sinners. He shows us a new righteousness apart from the law, but which the law and the prophets point to. It's a law, it's a righteousness not by us keeping the law, because we can never be justified that way. That's what he says in verse 20. Um, that we looked at last week. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified. So how are we? Well, um, John Stott in his commentary on Romans kind of lays out there's three things we get here. We get the basis, uh, we get the source, and we get how we're receiving this grace. Uh, the, the source of our forgiveness, the source of our righteousness, is completely God's grace. Verse 24 we are justified by his grace as a gift. It's freely given. It's not something earned. It's not something uh, where um, um, we you know, start and he helps us out. It is completely of God's initiative for, as we saw, no one understands, no one seeks God. God seeks us by his grace. He doesn't give us grace as a, response, as a helping hand to our deeds. He doesn't see us start, and he gives us more to help us further along the trail. It's a gift. He doesn't see our good intent. He doesn't see us um, being um, faithful and saying, well, they're going to do a real good job with this gift. They'll give them the gift. It's a grace. It's unearned. It's not merited, not by our works, not by our good intent, not by the, the, the promise that we make of what we'll do in the future, but solely of God's unmerited grace. You see, that's, that's what <laughs> grace is. It's something that's not earned. If, um, if, if God had never forgiven anyone, it, it, he would be completely just. If God never did anything um, to redeem sinners, it, it would be no less a just. There, there's nothing we could do to say, you owe us this. That's why it's grace. And if we understand that, that transforms us. Because if we think God's forgiveness and God's love is because something we do, and we kind of deserve because we're a little bit better than somebody else, we're still making it about us. We're still making it something we deserve and that we earn. You know, I've, I've never gone and gotten a paycheck and, and, and looked at it and thought, oh, what a wonderful, generous employer I work for. Oh, my, the person paying me, they're, they're just, you know, you, you think I've earned this. I've done the work. I've put in the hours. Look how much the government takes. Uh, you look at all that and you, you don't think, this is wonderful. Let me, let me sing a song to, to the one who gave me this, this check because you earned it. You did something to deserve it. But what we do sing about is grace. 
We sing amazing grace because it is amazing. It's not something God was obligated to give us. And because it's a gift, we, we, we recognize and it leads us to praise God. So we don't only sing amazing grace, we also sing, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We receive his grace. We, we, we know it deserves everything out of gratitude back to him. Or as others have sung, why me, Lord, what have I done? To deserve even one of pleasures I've known. Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? It's that we've done nothing. We've received merit. Trusting in good works that you do leads to self-righteousness. Receiving the gift of God's grace leads to hymns of praise. Completely of God's grace. And the basis of our forgiveness, so the source is because God was under no obligation, but out of his love and his mercy, he gives us his grace. And that grace and the basis of that forgiveness, the basis of us being made right with God, is nothing less than Jesus Christ's crucifixion on the cross. Verse 24 and 25, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Big words, big words we normally do not use in conversation. Rather than um, skimming over them, let's look at what these words mean. And uh, I think a lot of times we might go, oh, theological terms, I'm not good for this. But you know, there's a lot of words you learn if you're interested in something enough. Bogey, eagle, and par are not self-evident on their face. But you learn what they are if you love the game. And if you can understand the infield fly rule, or if you can understand um, the, the different rules and regulations for hunting in different states, you can understand redemption and propitiation. Redemption is the idea of someone buying back something for the benefit of someone else. Uh, if, if someone went in debt and they had to sell their land, um, someone else could come and redeem that land. That is, they would, they would purchase it for it to go back to the person it belonged to. In, in ancient days when people would be um, taken in war or um, have to go into indentured servitude, they could be redeemed by someone paying to, for their freedom. He redeems us. And he also is offered as a propitiation Propitiation is a biblical word that talks about God's wrath being put away. There, there's times we don't like the idea of God's wrath. But we look a world around us and we see the injustice and we see brutality and we see oppression and violence. You better believe God is wrathful. God's anger is not like ours where it's a personal insult. God's wrath is against those who hurt his creation, who rebel against him and turn away from him. His wrath is on rightfully those who hold to their sin. And this wrath has to be put away. It has to be uh, satisfied. And the idea of propitiation was a sacrifice that would satisfy that wrath. 
and turn it away so that God is favorable to the one who is given that sacrifice. In, in ancient Israel, this was given um, and seen most clearly in the way there was an, a sacrifice once a year. It was a propitiation to turn God's wrath away from the anger against his people as once a year the um, um, priest would go in to the temple and, and lay his hands on the scapegoat who would take on himself the sin of the people and, and be put away in this day of atonement was propitiation of God's wrath. Jesus is the fulfillment of that propitiation. He is the fulfillment of that sacrifice. He is the one where God meets us and speaks to us, the one where the atoning sacrifice on the cross is made so that his blood now covers us. God doesn't just wink at sin or overlook it. His wrath against it is appeased on the cross of Jesus Christ. He gave his own son an infinite sacrifice to atone for our sins. That is the basis of your forgiveness. So you never have to look at, have I done enough? Did I say the prayer right? Was I baptized at the right time? You look at the cross and you know that you are forgiven because his blood was shed. That is the basis. Nothing that you do. Solely by God's grace, solely on the basis of Jesus Christ and received by faith alone, not faith in good intentions, not faith in perseverance, um, not faith in um, anything we add to it, but faith in Christ alone. We talked about what faith was earlier. We talked about how it's not just knowledge, but it's knowledge that's believed and trusted in. Faith is not a work that's rewarded. It's a resting in what Jesus' work was. And I hope that you come to trust in him, in him alone, for your being made right with God. So how does this affect us? Is this when we stand before uh, the community and we say, I admit I'm a sinner and I'm relying solely on God's grace and I'm trusting and I have faith in Jesus. When we say that, how does that affect us? Well, one of the things this is pointing to, and, and kind of like uh, what we talked about last time, when, when we realize that we're all sinners, we, we get rid of any pretense. But it's also when we realize that we're all saved by God's grace, and none of us um, have any more claim on that grace than any other. Again, it, it shapes the way we look at each other, and the way we treat each other, and the way we love each other. So some people might have uh, what appears to be a better moral life than others, but, but they're in no less need of God's grace. Bishop Hanley Mole said, the harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of it, that is righteousness, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of the mine and you on the crest of the Alps, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they are. No matter how good we are, no matter how righteous we think we are, we don't rise to God's glory. We have fallen short and we need, his, we need his grace. And when we understand real sin, we understand that real grace. And then when we understand that what we've received, we don't deserve, it unites us in a community of gratitude. Because we look at each other knowing that we have received more than we deserve, shouldn't we give for others? 
Can you imagine living in a community where we trust in God's forgiveness, therefore we don't have to look at each other to meet our needs because we're relying on God's grace. So I don't have to look at somebody who's going to help my status or someone who's going to give me meaning. Now my needs are met by God's grace. I can reach out to them and give to them love and acceptance and generosity and show forgiveness and grace to others. I've been given God's grace. I'm now one who's received and I give rather than looking at other people as ways to fulfill my needs. So I no longer, in very practical things, have to look out for something that is, is um, for me, but I look out for my brother or sister. And the other way is that turns us outward. If we really understand what that means, that means we as a community are set out in mission. Because the need is universal and God's grace is universal for all who trust in him, what we have is not um, a, a, a set of steps to get people to be like us. What we have isn't um, a program of self-improvement we're trying to sell other people on. What we have is a message of good news to share with a needing world. So we're not sharing a message because that's another good work we do to get brownie points with God. We share the gospel because need, people need the gospel and it is good and if it transforms us, of course we want to share others how we've received freedom. Grace transforms us into a community of deep love for each other. But it also should focus us outward to share that grace with others. Church no longer becomes a place where you come to have your needs met. It comes to be a place where you're reminded of God's grace through the preaching and through sacraments and through the fellowship of people who show that grace. So you being filled with grace and overflowing from the blessings of God, go back out to share that grace and that love with the world around you. Instead of having our needs met, the church is a place where we are strengthened to go meet the needs of others solely on the basis of God of solely out of God's grace and on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ and his satisfaction and putting away the wrath of God and solely by trusting in that you are redeemed you are forgiven you are justified and you are brought into a community of people who now can love each other in incredible freedom I want to encourage you to share that. I want to encourage you, if you've not been in a place where trusting in Jesus is a place of freedom and love, but rather a chore and a burden, I want to encourage you to uh, get to know us. Get to know a place where you are um, received as you are because we've been received as we are. And a place where you're going to be expected to become something you're not because we pray that God is making us something we're not yet.